Shock Sports Radio starts now. If Jason Tatum did not miss nine games, Jason Tatum would have been the number one pick in this draft. This guy had the knack, the ability to create his own shot. I think Pritchard was asking too much. Danny wasn't willing to give up. And that's just the way it goes. As a GM, your responsibility is to get the best offer out there. Yeah, that's my point, though. I think he's trying to you know, look at his career as a whole and say, I don't want to go 3-9. and nine. On today's show, week six, yes, week six, we'll be talking about Mike Trout's new $430 million deal and how it affects the Red Sox. We'll also be jumping into the madness of March, and we'll be breaking down NFL trades and free agency. Welcome to week six, counting week six of Shark Sports Radio. Alongside of me is nobody, it's yours truly, Shark. Right here in the Ocean State. Thank you all for tuning in into your SoundCloud app. Quite the topics we got today on today's show. So let's take a dive right into it. We got Mike Trout. He just signed his brand new deal. $430 million. We'll be discussing how it affects the Red Sox. We'll also jump into the March Madness. We'll look at the brackets. We'll check out what teams you should be counting on, what teams you shouldn't be counting on. And then also to cap off the night, we'll be talking about the NFL free agency. A lot of trades, a lot of signings that I want to get into. So the MLB got hit with some serious news today. Mike Trout signed a deal for $430 million. Count it. $430 $430 million over the course of 12 years. You know, he, he said with the rest of his, you know, contract with the Angels, he's going to scrap it. He's going to sign a brand new deal. And that comes after the fact that Bryce Hopper signed, you know, <laughs> an immense amount, $330 million. So I think he's just trying to top him off, uh, which makes sense. I mean, Mike Trout is an MVP candidate every single year. You know, he brings it every time defensively, offensively, you know, even stealing bags. He's one of the best players, arguably, of all time. Um, he really has the attributes and, you know, the mechanics to be a lifelong uh, outfielder uh, from a hitting perspective and from, you know, diving onto the ground to, to catch a ball. I mean, he, he brings the energy every single game. What I want to really get into, Mike Trout, great player, right? Everybody knows that, but... How it affects the Red Sox. I don't think people realize how big of a deal this is. Dave Dombrowski is going to have to open up his wallet and decide whether he wants to spend money on Mookie Betts. Because Mookie Betts is more towards Mike Trout than Bryce Hopper. And the numbers that he's putting up on a consistent basis, I mean, he's batting over 300 every year. You know, he's hitting close to 20 to 30 home runs every single year, roughly 100 RBIs. So he is a gamer, and he he brings that energy. The part that I want to get into with Mookie is have we seen enough yet to give him that deal? And I'm not saying that to trade him, right? I, I think it's just more of what is he worth? Is he worth a Mike Trout deal? Or does he fall short into the Mike Trout deal? Does he get 380 to $400 million? 
I think what brings into that conversation is the sample size. Has the Boston Red Sox seen enough to give this guy what he wants? I mean, he's been an MVP candidate the past two years. We understand that. But can he keep this consistency going? And I I think a problem with Mookie is when you talk money, right? You talk money to any type of player. You've seen it with Giancarlo Stanton. You've seen it with Alex Rodriguez. You've seen it with Ryan Braun. Perfect example, too. They have a lot of egos when it comes to ask me about my cash, right? Like, open up the wallet and let's talk. Like, MLB is guaranteed money at the end of the day. And I got in a conversation with one of my colleagues today. It was actually a really good conversation. And it definitely makes sense. You know, the NFL, the, the NBA, the NHL, they all have salad cap. So they have money that can be spent up to a point, right? Whereas MLB, it's free game. No matter how you want to dice it up, you can ship money out. You can keep it in your pocket. And, and that's a concern to me. I brought up the fact that you got like a team like Pittsburgh, for instance. Andrew McCutcheon should have been $250, $300 man, you know, within his last five years of being in Pittsburgh. But Pittsburgh wasn't able to whip out some cash and figure out where this guy can be a cornerstone all-star in the team. At the end of the day, if you want to talk who's cheap, who's not, it's the owners. It's the MLB owners not given the ability to pay the players where it should be paid. So going back to the Red Sox, they're a big market team. They bring in money upon money. So there's no explanation when it comes to giving Mookie the go. But there's going to be teams out there that are going to check in on the Red Sox to see, hey, are you willing to give up Mookie bets? Because we might pay for him. There is discussions about this. The only reason for it is because you have Andrew Benatendi, you have Jackie Bradley, you have Xander Bogarts, you know, waiting in the wings to get paid. And, and then there's that arbitration, you know, happy medium where a team can actually give more money in one year than over the course of a contract. So Mookie is always going to be worth some money, right? It's just the matter of the ballpark. Is it going to be $30 million? Is it going to be $35 million? Or will it be $40 million a year? Now, Mike Trout, he's 35 to $36 million. And a lot of journalists and reporters are saying that Mookie will escalate and elevate over Mike Trout. And I want to kind of pump the brakes on that. If you invest in a guy like Mookie, You better know that those type of lengthy contracts do not work in the MLB. It has yet to work. So maybe take a step back and look at the years. Like, do I want to sign a guy for 10 to 12 years? No way in hell would I invest in a player. I don't care if he's that talented. I don't care if he's that young. I would never invest my money and my years into a guy that I don't know if he can do this on a consistent basis. And that's why a four-year, five-year, six-year deal should be worth it. And then you pay them the higher amount. You pay them the 35 to $40 million to get the deal done. But another name that I want to bring up is Chris Sale. Big picture here, okay? They have youth 
and they have veterans that want to get signed. The mix is great, but there's going to become a time where you're going to have to evaluate who's staying and who's going. And that's just the way the ball drops. Dave Dombrowski has to look at this team and say, who do I want to keep moving forward? Who should I give up moving forward? I think two names you should definitely keep an eye on is Jackie Bradley Jr. and Xander Bogarts. I think Jackie is one of the most outstanding outfielders of all time defensively. He just knows where the ball is going to go. And part of that is his anticipation and his vision. So he, he had a pretty down playoff. I mean, he hit a grand slam. He had, you know, had a couple RBIs, but nothing significant stood out as Jackie you know, can hit for 240 to, to 280. You need that kind of bat on the bottom of the, the lineup. That's just relevant. If you don't have a guy at the bottom of the lineup that can bat at least 260 to 280, it's not worth it. Oh, and another name I forgot to bring up is J.D. Martinez. J.D. has a player option of $23.75 million. He can get way more money on the open market next year. That is a guarantee. If he has a similar season that he had in 2018, teams will open up their bank account and say, I'll give you anything. He really got gypped. He really got gypped uh, two off seasons ago when you know the Red Sox offered him a contract. He was waiting forever, and you know it became a time where it's like I don't even know if I'm gonna get signed because his asking price was a little too high for his production. But looking at production, what do teams and leagues always ask? What have you done for me lately? And if you've done great for me lately, I'm going to pay you greatly. If you haven't done and you've been mediocre, I'm going to give you mediocre pay. So a lot of teams were offering 18 to $19 million a year, and he wanted to be a part of a winning you know, atmosphere, hence the Boston Red Sox were calling. They offered $20 million, and they got it done. I mean, over the course of the years, there's always going to be money into the mix, whether that's incentives, you know, or, um, you know, acclimations. There is a lot of Boston Red Sox talk around this Mike Trout with good reason. Does Dombrowski pull the trigger and say, you know what? I don't know if I want to give Mookie Betts this type of money. Can I get more return for him? Say it like an Andrew Benatendi kind of player or a starting pitcher or a lever. And then moving forward, reevaluate, you know, Xander Bogarts. I mean, Bogarts has been fairly consistent over the course of two to three years, but he hasn't been like everybody thought he was going to be like a, a Tulowinski, you know, coming into the league. And, you know, I think his first three or four years, he really just went quiet. Um, but he's he stepped it up recently, and I think because of the, the hitting mechanics, um, you know, the, the new hitting coach really came into play um, from the Oakland A's, and he was very, very helpful to him. So he, he kind of helped him switch up his routine, switch up the way he bats, um, which he's doing with Jackie Bradley right now. But at the end of the day, we should all know that it's a business, right? So, I mean, if you're not putting up, you're sitting down. And if you're not putting up, I might have to send you out. It's productivity. 
Like, what have you put into your game that would want me to keep you around? And, I mean, I can't say enough that Xander Bogarts and Jackie Bradley haven't done enough in my eyes to warrant a huge deal. Especially if you're, if you're dealing with a Scott Boris client, you might as well walk away from the table. Because he is going to ask for astronomical money because he gets so much from every single player. He has like a list from A to Z who he represents. You know, he's like kind of like the Rich Paul of the NBA. I mean, he's better than Rich Paul, obviously, because he's just a dominant force in the MLB. He has a bunch of players. The reason why they go to him is because they know he will get them paid. He's one hell of a negotiator. There's been articles written about this guy. There's been documentaries, you know, seen about this guy. I mean, with good reason. The guy comes to play at the table. You know, you want to talk money, you want to talk dollars, let's ball. Like, what are you going to do to get my client paid? That's what he's always going to represent. So if I'm the Red Sox and I'm looking at, crap, half of these guys are Scott Boris agents. I'm shipping them out unless I really, really think they're worth it. I'm going to invest in them. But at the same time, if you're mediocre at best, I'm not giving you 20 to $25 million. Like Jackie Bradley is a perfect example. Your defense is outstanding. Your hitting sucks. Great, you hit a grand slam in the World Series. I get it. It was huge. But Steve Pierce should get more money than what you get paid. If that's the case, who's worth it on the team? Who's not? So I'm getting an extension to Chris Sale. I'm getting an extension to Mookie Betts. And I'm getting an extension to Andrew Benatendi. And then I'll take my chances with J.D. Martinez. But Alexander Bogarts, Jackie Bradley, you're going to have to see the door. Because I am not paying you. I'll have Michael Chavez come up and play shortstop. I'll have, I'll have J.D. Martinez play the right field and shift Andrew Benatendi to left. And I'll have Mookie play center. I mean, that, that's not an issue. Mookie loves to play the outfield. Which, which is reason why you kind of keep that guy around. is because he's very versatile. He's dynamic. He's one guy that you want to definitely recycle back into your formation and your batting order. I mean, he's so significant. There's young players on this team that are going to want to get paid. And if John Henry and Dave Dombrowski want to pay hefty dollars to keep these guys around, go for it. But I'm telling you right now, I'm not investing in a player for 8 to 12 years. If you see those kind of contracts, you're kind of like scratching your head. Let's just say Mookie Betts signs for a six-year deal, okay? He's 27 years old. Let's say you give him a five- to six-year contract. He's going to be 32 to 33 years old. He might be a little bit past his prime, which is reason why players always go with a long ball, right? I mean, that's just the way it goes. It's security. If I'm financially secured, I'm going to be good in my life for retirement. I mean, Bobby Bonilla still getting paid. It's been like 40-something years. So, I mean, maybe the Red Sox can work out a thing where they invest towards the future. I think that's, you know, a side point. When you have young talent, you have to evaluate who you want to keep and who you want to get rid of. And Dabrowski is going to have to figure out what the plan is moving forward. Maybe you bring up a guy like Mike Chavez and you ship Alexander Bogarts, like I said. there's going to have to be some moving parts. There's no way that he's going to pay every single player. And there's going to be players that are going to possibly take arbitration 
just because of the hefty dollars. I mean, Mookie took a, a $20 million um, offer from the Red Sox this past offseason with arbitration. There's a really good connection, too, with Mookie and the Boston Red Sox. If I'm looking at priority for the Red Sox, I think it's 1A Chris Sale. I think it's 1B Mookie Betts. And the reason why I say 1A is because pitching is so vital in the MLB. If you have a bona fide ace, you're as good as having a, um, a solid and a productive outfielder. That's writing on the wall for me. If I'm going to sale, I'm offering a significant amount. You know, Mookie bets, I'm giving you less amount of years, but I'm going to give you high value at an annual rates. I just thought it was interesting looking at Trout's situation. It's just all these guys are getting paid, and the high market teams with value have more money to spend because they're willing to do so because they're in that large market. They're going to have jersey sales. Their ticket prices are going to go up. Their concessions are going to go up. That's just the way the future is going to go as long as we start going to games. Until that time comes, which I don't know when it stops, but I think we all have to educate ourselves on the MLB because there's no cap room. So that means if an owner wants to keep dollars in their pocket, they can because they don't have to give out the money to the players. They can invest on young talent. Like a perfect example is St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, St. Louis just doesn't usually pay top dollar for the players. They, they usually invest in, the, um, in their farm system, which is class A. It is. You know, they bring up players like, you know, Yadier Molina and Carpenter. And they had significant talent, you know, just to keep building upon. There's going to be an opportunity for a small market team to trade some of their assets for a guy like Bogarts, a guy like Jackie Bradley. So it's going to be very interesting. I really, like I said, I I thought it was very um, astonishing to see that type of value, especially when he canceled out his remaining years with the Angels. Mike Trout signed for $430 million. That's unbelievable. Mike Trout's situation is one heck of a situation for him. I I think he just bought a $500 million house plus in the California area. And he's from Philadelphia. So Bryce Harper had his introductory conference introducing him as a new Philly. And, you know, somebody brought up Mike Trout and, you know, the fact that Mike's from, you know, the Philly area and, you know, it seems to be an ideal fit. Well, Money talks at the end of the day. Like, Angels have this guy wrapped. He's going to be Hall of Fame status with the Angels. He's going to be Hall of Fame status in the MLB. You know, he's on pace to make records. I, it's just uncanny to see this type of guy at, you know, 29 to 30 years old really make noise and make a stance in, like, make his presence known in Los Angeles of Anaheim. Nobody goes to Los Angeles of Anaheim. And that's the thing. People want to see top-tier talent, especially in, you know, California. And, I mean, that's just another example is they're willing to pay. As long as the team's willing to pay those type of dollars, that type of player will stick around. So let's see if Mookie Betts, Chris Sale, and Andrew Benatendi stick around while Alexander Bogarts, And Jackie Bradley Jr. can see their ass out the door. I can see that happening. And quote me on this. 
Dave Dombrowski is known to trade players at a high rate. So if he can get prospects or if he can get somebody that he sees in mind, he's going to pull the trigger. All right, let's jump into the madness of March. We got the playing games tonight. Yes, Tuesday and Wednesday, and then the games start on Thursday. What do Gonzaga, Duke, Virginia, and North Carolina all have in common? Number one seeds. Those teams played outstanding. And talk about the ACC. The matchups every single game were just unbelievable. You saw top talent. You saw NBA caliber players. It was really, really fun to watch the ACC this year. I, I mean, Zion going down, that's one thing. Like, you know, all the hype about him breaking the shoe really kind of took away from, you know, what the Duke Blue Devils really did. I mean, they, they dominated that conference, but North Carolina just soared their their opportunity. And Colby White is just, he is unbelievable player when the moment's high. Like, he's so composed. You don't see him getting rattled. And that's the type of player that Roy Williams has always enjoyed kind of coaching. Is like, you know, you look at the Michael Jordans, you look at Harrison Barnes, you look at Raymond Felton. You like tough guys down the stretch not to get too caught up in the moment. And it was really great to see. Um, There's going to be top-level performances in this um, tournament. This tournament arguably could be one of the best. Gonzaga is a team to watch out for. So what I really want to get into is the matchup that everyone wants to talk about with good reason. You're going to have star A players playing on the court Thursday night. You know, Thursday at 4.30. You're going to have John Morant versus Marcus Howard. Those two will put up a serious amount of numbers. I know Marcus Howard's coming back from injury, but expectations-wise, John Morant is one hell of a player on the hardwood. He just knows how to, you know, stay composed and just dominate when his time is called. You know, he can get his players involved. I mean, they have one of the highest offensive um, ratings in college basketball this year. It's been known this team has it offensively. Defensively is where it's going to be tough because you have the Hauser brothers. And like I said, Marcus Howard, I think those three are the glue. Those three are the glue of the team. And then John Morant has a couple of shooting guards um, that, you know, that can shoot the three extremely well. These two players can score with ease and with a lot of energy. They, they just have that energy. They have their, their clutchness about them. Like, I don't know if you saw it, but John Morant dunked all of the court. Um, you know, I think it was about a week ago in the conference championship. And he, he finished that off with an exclamation point and then some. Um, that wasn't just a dunk. He literally dunked on somebody and showed them who Murray State is. John Morant put Murray State on the map. And that is hard to do playing in that type of small conference. But, hey, needless to say, these teams, all these teams in the tournament, they're going to have players that can bring it every single game. 
And that's why I think this year, amongst any other year, it's going to be competitive as hell. These guys are not going to give in. Like, I'll give you a team to watch out for. It's Tennessee. Tennessee is so great. They got Grant Williams, who's a really good player. Um, you know, they got really good guards. And, you know, the coach just doesn't give a crap. Like, LSU game, you know, they just went back-to-back. Back and, and LSU won because it's on their, their home court. But it was just awesome to see how much energy they feed off. Like, if the crowd's there, they're going off. And, and that was awesome. Um, you don't, you're not seeing too much of a presence from the Big East, which isn't shocking to me. I believe it's like three or four teams, you know, if, I, I'm, uh, if I'm correct. I think it's St. John, Seton Hall, Marquette, and then Villanova. Um, with good reason. There, there was just not a lot of competition this year amongst many other years, which is kind of like a downfall to me because the Big East, you know, you used to have Syracuse, you used to have UConn, um, Louisville, um, you know, Marquette was even good, Georgetown, like all these teams used to be in the mix. And, and you know, PC was kind of like the sixth, seventh spot, um, usually at times. So they were always going to be in the mix, but th- there's not a lot of good conferences, but there are strong competitors on these teams. Um, Culver from Texas Tech, he could possibly go top 10 in the NBA draft. Um, you know, you got Cam Reddish for Duke. You got Zion Williams. You got a lot of uh, really good, solid players in that top five. And, and there's also, I mean, a lot of teams that didn't make the cut that have players that could develop into possibly some stars in the NBA. Like, look up Kevin Porter from USC. The guy's a gamer. He reminds me of James Harden. Um, he just has a knack of scoring. You know, he, he's built pretty strong, too. I believe he's like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. So he has great size. Um, he has a knack of, you know, uncanny ability to score at, when it's all said and done. So there's a lot of teams in the March Madness bracket that are going to have, like, significant roles. I mean, North Carolina and Duke are, you know, for one. But I think another team out to watch out for is Bill Self in Kansas. For some reason, every time they get into the tournament, they, they somehow make noise. And that just shows the credibility of Bill Self as a coach. He gets the guys ready prior to the game. His game planning going into the game is just so significant. So it's going to be fun to see these type of pl- teams that are really high competitors take a step into what we call the madness. There's going to be new teams also involved. There's going to be a lot of you know, energy from, from the crowd. I got to watch Kawhi Leonard um, play for San Diego State. I got to watch Bruce Pearl on the sidelines um, wearing his orange jacket representing uh, Tennessee. Um, I, I got to see Miami of Ohio beat Georgetown. That was so much fun. Um, I got to see you know, Yale and Duke go at it. Um, you know, there, there was so many good matchups. University of Miami playing that that tournament as well. So that was years, you know, a couple of years ago. But that just shows like the competitive level, the energy in the crowd. Like this is why March, February, March time frame is probably the best in all sports. You know, you got the Super Bowl. You know, you have NFL free agency. 
You got MLB trades going on. And then you also have the Madness of March. And the Madness of March tops it off. They, it takes the cake. You know, you, you can't give me another tournament where people are always into it, like involved, um, besides the Super Bowl. And, and plus, I think the, the energy of the Super Bowl from fans have kind of lost it because, I mean, the Patriots just make every single year. So, like, the interest is just kind of low. Um, but you, you'll see that increase for sure as time goes on. But I think March Madness really, really brings it every single year. You know, you have – you know, fans that root for the college teams and, you know, you have superstar players like step up. I'll, I'll give you an example, like Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. So Damian Lillard played for Weber State. You know, he really put that team on the map. And then you had CJ McCollum play for Lehigh. You know, Lehigh gave Duke a run for their money in the first round. And CJ brought it. CJ brought it, and that's what put him into consideration for the drafts as well. So there's going to be a lot of players within the teams that are going to stand out. And I'm telling you, you're going to see so many NBA scouts looking to just take it all in. Like you're going to envision some some top tier level teams. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. And the energy is going to have to, you know, step into the mix and... You know, I, I'm really, really excited to see what this bracket could be. Um, I won't reveal my final four just yet because um, I'm still working on it. I, I think a bracket, you know, takes some time, especially with the competitive level that it will be. I'm telling you right now, it's going to be one of the best March Madnesses of all time. Um, arguably top, top three, top five, maybe the best. I'll, I'll say just because the talent that is in March Madness this year. I, I feel like it could go down as one of the best. Um, but every year, there's always stunts, right? It's like Cinderella teams come out of the mix. Like Florida Gulf Coast was really, really fun to watch. I believe it was two or three years ago. And, you know, it, it kind of just stuck out to me as, you know, these, these kids just don't give a shit. Like, in a good way. Like, they're like, I don't care – you know, if I'm Florida Golf Coast, I'm still going to stand up for my team and my school and represent the right way. And they took over. Um, you know, another team was, uh, what the heck is it, IMBC? No, UMBC. It was, um, you know, a Maryland team. And, you know, they just revolved around old lady of, I think is 98 years old. You know, she was their number one fan. And, you know, they kept riding. They kept riding um, her dreams and her passion you know, to come up big. So, um, March is here. It's not going anywhere for a while. So keep on booking up, um, games and looking out for top talent. Like I said, top talent, bonafide energy that you'll ever see, um, in March Madness history. So the NFL draft is about a month away. Um, but in the meantime, we got some free agency to talk about. There was unbelievable amount of transactions happening with different teams. And it was uncanny. Like, you don't see these type of trades happen in the NFL. And it was kind of weird. Like, I'll give you an example. Odell Beckham Jr., right? Everybody was talking about it, him to the Browns. And it was really weird because there was a, a reporter out in Cleveland that received a text from inside source with the Cleveland Browns. And he said... Odell to Cleveland, watch out. And I retweeted it because I was like, wow, 
Odell to Cleveland. Could that possibly happen? I was like, yes, it could. And the reason why is the Giants really couldn't invest in that type of money and those type of years when they have so much holes to fulfill. A lot of vacancies. So it's not astonishing to me to see that. You know, if you look at the big picture, Dave Gettleman, everybody was coming out of memes. And it, it was funny to watch, but, like, at the same time, it, I kind of felt bad. You know, he's a Springfield College alum, so I get what his vision is. But at the same time, you're still keeping Eli Manning around. You know, you have draft picks in the mix. And, you know, they're saying the number six pick. You know, they don't know if they're going to go quarterback because they're not big on Haskins. And then they have the number 17th pick from the Cleveland Browns. So it was kind of like, what do you get out of this trade? Like, that's what I say is like, what value do do you get out of this trade? And a team that didn't get value for an outcome was the Antonio Brown situation, right? So I think the Steelers really lost that. That was just a huge loss on their part. They let it get too out of hand. They let Antonio Brown handle the situation way too much. A lot of chatter a miscellaneous chatter that you probably wouldn't hear. And, I mean, I can't paraphrase it because I don't necessarily know what happened, but I can imagine that Antonio Brown led the talks and basically he said his the leverage is on his side and with good standing I'd like to go to these teams. Like he probably gave him a list of teams. The Odell situation, going back to it, I mean, San Francisco – was in high negotiations with them prior to them having negotiations with Cleveland. And I, I just I, – I can't believe that San Francisco, you know, with, with their state, they wouldn't want to take a chance on Odell Beckham Jr. for the number two pick. Now, number two pick, I get it. It's high. They could possibly get Joey Bosa. They could possibly get Quinn Williams. But there is so much opportunity for San Francisco to put themselves on the map. Because, you know, they got a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo now. And Jimmy Garoppolo's come back healthy. They got a good running game, strong tight end, you know, core. Um, They got a great offensive line. Does their defense need work? Yeah, but they can use those draft picks in 2019 draft to, you know, fulfill those voids. I don't look at that as being a tough situation for Adele to build upon. I think Jimmy Garoppolo would have a field day with him. Um, You know, speedy receiver with his type of talent. You know, who doesn't want that? So... I just don't see it being a really big issue with Odell getting traded. I think him getting traded to the Cleveland Browns was significant. But as any other super team gets, let's see if they can balance out the acts. You know, I think Jarvis Landry wants, you know, 100 receptions a year. But how are you going to, you know, dice that up and, and, you know, make sure Odell gets his and, you know, make sure David Dijoku gets his and, you know, then you have Nick Chubb, and you got Kareem Hunt, and you got, you know, um, Duke Johnson. If he gets traded, he'll be out, of course, but that's just another player you throw into the mix. And sometimes it's not necessarily a good thing, but if you had the money to spend, if you had the assets to trade, you know, I think it's worth it when it's all said and done. There's been a lot of movement, obviously, as people know. And, I mean, just to run through some quarterbacks, you know, you had uh, Nick Foles. Signed a four-year, $88 million with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Teddy Bridgewater said no to the Miami Dolphins. Miami's offer wasn't that high. I don't think they were going to move because, I mean, we have Teddy Bridgewater and his injuries recently. 
Um, it would have been a great story because he's from Miami and, you know, him and did Devontae Parker played uh, together at Louisville. But, you know, t- to me, that's not a huge issue, um, especially if Miami has their eyes on the bigger prize. Um, but, you know, he signed a one-year $7.25 million deal with the New Orleans Saints. You know, Tyrod Taylor, he's going to be the backup for Los Angeles Chargers. Blake Bortles just signed a deal with the LA Rams. Uh, I believe it was a one-year deal for, like, I think $7 million, roughly around there. And then you also had Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, who's a, a great mentor um, to build around, you know, with, with him having humor and, you know, just being able to feel comfortable around his presence is huge, especially if you're young um, young team and Miami does have a young team um, so he signed a two-year 11 million dollar deal with the Dolphins and then of course there was other you know uh, small acquisitions you know in the mix for for different teams the running back situation was possibly uh, one of the entertaining ones just to run down a couple you know you, of course everybody wants to talk about Le'Veon Bell four-year million deal with the Jets. Um, No shock there. I think I called it on the previous podcast. I also called Antonio Brown going to the Raiders. And I also mentioned that Odell could probably possibly be traded. Not to toot my horn or anything, but I did see that coming. I did see these moves being made just because when you have a team like the Jets willing to spend money, when you have a team like the Raiders who have Mike Mayock now who can evaluate talent at its finest, there is no like guessing about that. I saw that coming a mile away. Kareem Hunt, you know him signing with the Browns early on in the offseason after he got dropped by the Chiefs. Significant signing by the Browns. I think he's going to be a cornerstone moving forward if he does get his head on straight. And, I mean, he has to fill, fulfill his suspension of eight games anyway. Um, Tevin Coleman is probably the most sleeper signing of all the offseason. Two years, $8.5 million deal to San Francisco 49ers. He's going to have a presence in the backfield of Matt Breda. But Tevin Coleman, anytime he stepped in for Devontae Freeman in Atlanta, he was always a productive back. Without scat back, whether him getting some significant yards on, on the ground to keep the offense moving, or even to talk about huge blocker, huge blocker running back in the backfield. Mark Ingram signed with... Baltimore Ravens, um, three-year, $15 million deal, so he gets $5 million a year. Not too bad of a price. It seems to be that running backs really can't get paid unless you're, you know, you're a multi-dimensional running back. I mean, these days, you have to adapt to your surroundings, right? So teams are, you know, trifecta, the back that has all the weaponry you could possibly think of. I think the arsenal of Mark Ingram has not been met, and I think – Alvin Kamara kind of took him, you know, under as being a third down back. And maybe, just maybe, Mark Ingram can kind of flourish in that system of Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. Adrian Peterson, um, no shock there. I thought he was going to stay with Washington anyway. He's an old guy. He wants to stay in his own way. Latavius Murray signing for the Saints, the four-year, $14 million deal, was probably the best value signing of all the offseason, like the Saints already knew that Mark Ingram was going to ask for hefty dollars, but they wanted a more elusive back, like a third down back that can both run and catch. Um, Mark Ingram doesn't necessarily have that capability. So Latavius Murray, 
you know, at age 29, which is kind of late for a running back. But, um, you know, four-year deal, he's probably going to retire with the Saints, which wouldn't be shocked to me. Um, you know, moving forward, we're going to talk wide receivers. Golden Tate signed a four-year, $37.5 million deal with the New York Giants. No shock there. Um, I thought Patriots were in the mix, but when you talk dollars, you know, Golden is not going to say no. He's 30 years old. You know, get the most out of it and, and see where it goes. Tyrell Williams signed with the Oakland Raiders, four-year, $44.3 million. Nice little number two receiver on that team. Really can make some noise. Devin Funches, um, the one-year, $10 million deal with Indianapolis is a good pickup for them. Um, you're going to have a solid number two guy, especially at his height. I think he's like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Um, so he's very strong and has the capabilities to be a really good number two receiver while T.Y. Hilton can make some noise um, you know, down the field. Randall Cobb just signed with the Dallas Cowboys, one-year, $5 million. Um, Adam Humphreys... Jamison Crowder, all these, you know, slot receivers wanting to be a number one receiver won't make, and even you can throw John Brown in the mix. They're good receivers, don't get me wrong. They're going to get you receptions. They're going to be huge and huge in fantasy football. But, I mean, Adam Humphrey signed a four-year deal worth $36 million from the Tennessee Titans, and I heard the Patriots offered more money. But, I mean, you can't knock on Nashville. It's, it's a great city. I'm going soon, so... Um, you know, I'm excited, but Adam Humphrey's in a great situation there. Um, you know, Jameson Crowder, a little overpaid, three years, $28.5 million from the Jets. You know, you do the math there, it's close to $9 million um, per year. Um, and then John Brown, three years, $27 million from Buffalo. Again, Buffalo has the money to spend. All these teams have the money to spend, so they're going to go for you know, receivers that they, they can you know, fit the mold with. Tight ends, nothing really significant. You know, walk past that. Uh, there was significant offensive tackle signed. Obviously, Trent Brown, you know, signed with the Raiders, leaving the New England area, four years, um, $66 million, one of the highest paid offensive linemen of all time. You know, you had Jawan James signing with the, you know, Denver Broncos. Um, so, you know, Jawan James playing for the Miami Dolphins, obviously. Um, so that was a great move, you know, for the Broncos to solidify that front. I think, uh, you know, the edge rushers, I, I always think, like, that's probably the most important position on the defensive side, that in the number one corner. Um, if you got a guy that can, you know, rush the quarterback and a guy that can, you know, be a threat in the secondary and make the quarterback think twice, it's worth having that. You know, Frank Clark, franchise tag, J.V. and Clowney, franchise tag, you know, Demarcus Lawrence, franchise tag. Two of those guys, Frank Clark and Javavian Clowney, um, they'll probably get their contract. But, you know, D. Ford getting traded to the San Francisco 49ers, that was a huge trade. And that's why I think if they traded for Odell, it wouldn't be a bad situation. But, hey, needless to say, you know, they got a great player in uh, D. Ford. Trey Flowers signing a five-year, $90 million contract with the Detroit Lions. Darius Smith, I think, is the most uh, underrated um, edge rushers in the game. He signed a four-year, $66 million contract with Green Bay. There was a lot of money spent this offseason. I'm not going to run into more you know, details, but um, Earl Thomas getting signed by the Baltimore Ravens was significant as well. All these players got paid, right? So, I mean, if, you, if you're productive and you, know, you feel like you're worth that money, you got to show it. And a lot of these players have, 
There's just been injuries. There's been, you know, miscellaneous things that have happened, like off-the-field issues, um, you know, to not getting along with the teammates. A lot of times you can see a way out. You can see your way out to a new beginning. So a new beginning would be Odell. A new beginning would be Antonio Brown, Earl Thomas, D. Ford, Zadarius Smith, C.J. Mosley. You know, he got signed by the Jets. There is a cumulative around how capable are these players performing versus what their value is. It's not a distraction to me at all, but I think people really definitely have to understand that these teams have to spend the money. So if you see these type of contracts, you can't get alarmed. I mean, they're getting paid top dollar, obviously. I mean, these teams have to spend the money. So that, I feel like, is so important because when you're evaluating talent, sometimes it doesn't equate to the dollars. That's just like in baseball. But baseball has guaranteed money, and they have no cap. But the difference in the NFL is the salary cap's always going to move up. So teams that have players you know, that are 20, 30 years old, they can get away with one- or two-year deals. Whereas in baseball, it's guaranteed money, players are going to want it, agents are going to want it, and the teams can give them that kind of money. Whereas football, you understand that sometimes it's a one-year deal, sometimes it's a two-year deal, you get your value back up. Whether you went through injury, whether you went through a poor season, you have a second chance. So these second chance players are really going to be working significantly hard to get to their, their max and their max could be significant. I, I, I'll give you an example. Trent Brown. I mean, Trent Brown got traded from the 49ers to the Pats last offseason. And then he just banks on a $66 million contract. That, that's just unheard of for an offensive lineman. As expected, dollars were thrown around. Teams opened up their wallet. And it, it was good to see, for sure, like, as far as buzz goes, like, the huge trades that happened, you know, nobody really saw it coming. But at the same time, they did. But they just wanted to figure out how that journey would happen. And it happened. And so all these players with new beginnings, they had the ability to thrive into their new system. Or they had the ability to flunk in their new system, which possibly could happen. Especially, I think, Antonio Brown going to the Raiders. I think it's a bad matchup because I don't think Derek Carr is as good as people think. If they trade up and try to get Kyle Murray, watch out for the Oakland Raiders. But for now, let's pump the brakes because I don't think Derek Carr is as elite as people think. So the value of these players will be evaluated, obviously, from the 2019 season on. And it would be great to see if these players live up to their contracts because we always ask ourselves, are these players really worth that money? And teams always ask that. And that's just another example of investing in significant amount of time and money. And you don't know what that player could be obviously worth. Thank you for tuning in. Tune in next week.